Good morning. Good to see, man, you guys are not quite awake. Good morning. Better. You do realize people do get up and come to first service, right? 8.45. It is so wonderful to see the Burgesses here. Look at this. Fran and Janice and the kiddos. Man, it's great seeing you guys. Thank you for taking your mask off. That way I can see you to know it's you. All right. Good to have you guys. We look forward to hearing from them hopefully sometime soon about what the Lord's doing uh, in their ministry. It's always good to have our missionaries with us. And I'm sure that Dean and Linda would say amen to that, right? <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you guys enjoy your time together with each other. And uh, it is quite a, a commitment to go around the world, literally, and uh, not be able to see family on a, you know, pretty regular basis. So we appreciate so much what the Lord is doing in your lives and look forward to hearing, hearing from you soon. Um, I would say about 15 years ago, I had an opportunity to pray at a ballpark event. I was asked to do that, and um, I'll never forget it for this reason. Uh, when I showed up uh, that day, that Saturday morning, the guy that called me said, Now, Dad, you do know what to do, right? I'm like, yeah. He said, you know how to pray, right? I was like, yeah, I, know. I, I think I got that down. And um, I got to thinking about that because of the a passage I'm reading today, because Paul loved to pray for other believers. And uh, it just reminded me that of two things. Number one, we have the responsibility to pray for other believers, that the Lord would grow them up. But we also have opportunities at times to pray, whether it's in a church setting or a non-church setting. And so we carry our testimony everywhere we go. And so if you're ever asked to pray, usually they ask the pastors to do it, like we have some special, you know, extra, you know, connection. And the reality is that every believer has the same connection. Isn't that great? But we always need to be ready to, to give an account for the hope that's in us, and that's part of that. So um, I just want to encourage you guys um, just to take advantage of the opportunities the Lord gives you in your life to always be ready and to pray for other believers. And with that in mind... I want you to take your Bibles and go to Ephesians in the first chapter. And we are going to read chapter 1, verse 15, through chapter 2, verse 10. So I'd ask that you would stand together. And let's read God's Word this morning. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you in your love for all the saints... Do not cease to give thank excuse me, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now work, working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, too, we also formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest, but God. Being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves is the gift of God. Salvation is not of ourselves, guys. He says, not as a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, his display case, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word, and I trust that these words will be considered far beyond um, just uh, this morning. So let's pray uh, together. Well, Lord, we just can't thank you enough for your great mercy and grace. We were in a condition that was impossible to get out of on our own. We're thankful for grace. We're thankful that there is salvation that is found alone in Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. He is the only one that can save. Help us not to forget that. Help us to remember our salvation. Help us to be able to recall that moment when the Spirit of God convicted us of sin and we turned and we trusted in Christ. Christ alone as our Savior. Help that not to be just something that we can recall in the past, but help us to be able to also speak about the great salvation that we enjoy as we have abundant life, new life. Life not like the world. The world has life. But for the believer, we have abundant life. It's different for us. The glasses that we have on are different from the glasses the world has on. We see the hope. We see the certainty of the return of our Savior. And for the world, they see no hope. Um, I want to thank you, Lord, that I have hope. That I expect my Savior to return. And if my Savior doesn't return before I close my eyes in death, I'm thankful to know it's just a transportation. Um, that immediately when I shut my eyes in death, I will be in the presence of my Savior and my Lord. Thank you for the confidence we can have and for the testimony of believers uh, in the Scriptures that 
speak with confidence and boldness about that day. Help us to be encouraged today as we think about our own salvation. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.
song that she just played was, You Are My Hiding Place. It's based on that verse of scripture, Psalms 32, 7, that you just saw. And I don't know whether you've noticed or not, but our world's getting a little wacky, a little turned upside down. Prophet Isaiah had something to say about that a long time ago. He said, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Does that sound kind of familiar with the day that we live in? And that's kind of frightening to us all. But the good thing about it is, as believers, we don't need to be frightened because we know the sovereignty of God and we know that God is in control of all things. And, uh, and we trust Him. That's part of that song, that in Him we trust. Uh, I was, uh, shared this at the, the, the first service was uh, a couple of weeks ago, and some of you might have been in the same thing. I got a, a, a phone call about 11.30, and it was a recording saying that a, that a tornado was headed toward your house. It was headed towards clay. And I saw it must be a new way they're doing it. I said, that's, that's pretty cool. So uh, anyway, so I go in. Denise already been in the bed. I said, come on, let's get out of the bed and let's get downstairs. Let's go to our safe place. That's what the meteorologists tell us. Go to your safe place. So we went to our safe place. And if you look back on that, probably how many, how many people have been saved because they now have a safe place to go. And uh, so we're thankful for that. And we had our safe place that we went to. Well, that's what, that's what Christ does for us. He gives us a safe place to go, and we're so thankful for that. He gives us a shelter in the time of, so, of storm that protects us. Anyway, that's what I want us to sing about today, okay? We're talking about him being the hiding place, but he's a shelter in the time of storm. And it's so sweet to be able to trust in him during those times. So let's all stand, and let's sing on that old, the, a couple of old hymns there, Shelter in the Time of Storm. Shelter in the time of storm, secure whatever ill be tied, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is the rock in the weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is the rock in the weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. Fence by night, a shelter in the time of storm. No fears of alarm, no fears of fright, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is the rock in the weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is the rock in the weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. Shelter in the time of storm. He'll never leave our safe retreat. A shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land. A weary land. A weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land. A shelter in the time of storm. Oh, rock deep. 
shelter in the time of storm. Be thou our helper ever near, a shelter in the time of storm. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. Sing that one more time. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a weary land, a weary land. Oh, Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, hope for grace to trust Him more. Oh, how sweet to trust in Jesus, just to trust His cleansing blood, just in simple faith to plunge me beneath the healing cleansing blood. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I put Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Yes, be sweet to trust in Jesus, just from sin. Just from Jesus, simply taking my hand, rest in joy and peace. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I prove Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him.
song that Linda played just a little while ago so beautifully, by the way. One of my favorite songs that she plays, I guess. You are my hiding place. And we'd like to, we'd like to sing, that, uh, sing that for you right now. But uh, if we look at Psalms 91, it says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Also in the book of Colossians, Paul addressed it. He says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And Psalm 32, 7 says, You are my hiding place. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. You go over to verse 10. It says, Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, loving kindness, shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous ones, and shout for joy, all you who are upright in heart. We have a hiding place. We have someone to go to that protects us. We do not need to fear. How many times does the Bible say, fear not? So I want you to listen to the words as we sing, you are my hiding place.
Let's pray together, maybe. Father, what a wonderful thing to know that we can trust in you. When the weak say, I am strong. When the poor say, I am rich. But Lord, when the world gets so turned upside down that we don't even recognize it anymore, Lord, we know that you are there. And Father, you're still in control. Father, we can hide in you. We can run to you for shelter. We know that you will protect us from the evil one and from the evil days that we live in. Well, God, I just want to thank you that you are such a strong and mighty, awesome, marvelous God that we can trust. Well, God, with that in mind, Lord, we just want to continue to worship you this morning, Father, because you are worthy of our worship. Father, continue to be with us as we uh, open your word, Lord, and we find more about you, Father, and more about what you have in store for us. And God, we just want to thank you for who you are. These things I pray in your son's name. Amen. Well, it was uh, years ago, and there was a young man that um, would sit behind his family every Sunday. Uh, He didn't want to sit on the same row as them because he didn't want to sit with his parents because he was 16 or 17 years old at the time. And he decided, although his dad made him sit close to them, he would just sit behind them. Of course, everybody in the church knew who he was and that he belonged to that family. Nevertheless, that's where he chose to sit every week. I had the privilege to be able to ask him the question many times, do you belong to the Lord? Have you trusted him as your savior? And every single time his answer was the same. He said, I'm okay. I say, you belong to the Lord? I'm good. I'm okay. You ever run across anyone like that? Who, when you presented the question of what have they done with Jesus Christ, they're like, eh, I'm okay. I'm good. I'll deal with that one day. You know, hoping that their own righteousness will suffice. Well, one particular Sunday, we were having an evangelistic Sunday, and at the church I was serving at, we would do this about once once or twice a year, where we would have um, evangelistic Sunday, the message would be around the gospel, and you can invite your friends and your family members who might not be saved. And so we had that particular Sunday, and the pastor got up to deliver the message, and at the end of the message, there was an invitation given, which we did not do a lot. And that young man got out of his seat. He walked down to the front. And so when I asked him, hey, do you belong to the Lord? Do you know what I got? Yes, I do. I belong to the Lord. It was no longer I'm okay, or I'm just fine, or I'll worry about that later. It was that I belong to the Lord. Do you belong to the Lord? Are you certain that you belong to the Lord? Do you have a testimony, one that you would be willing to stand up and share, that would go back to a time, a point in time, 
where you were convicted of your sin. Because that's how it happens. The Bible tells us in John chapter 16 that the Spirit of God convicts the world of sin. Do you remember that time when that was for you? Could you go back to that and share that with someone today? And say, I remember that morning or that afternoon or that night when the Spirit of God convicted me of my sin and, and I trusted in Christ alone for my salvation. Do you remember that day? I want you to think about that this morning. I want you to be able to walk out of here today, young person and more mature person, to be able to walk out of this sanctuary and know without a shadow of a doubt that you belong to Christ. There is nothing more important in this world. Nothing. Everything else is going to pass away. The question becomes, where will you live eternally? And do you know that you know that you know Christ? Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being able to tell these folks that I belong to you. And I pray that for each one in this room, whether they belong to you or they don't, Lord, that your spirit would work in them this morning, that for those that belong to you, that you would just give them an opportunity to think about their own testimony. And how often are they asked the question to share? If they were asked to share, what would be said? Is it a testimony that they belong to Christ, but their growth in you has not been what it needs to be? Maybe that's where some are today. But there may be some in this room, I'm assuming in an audience this size, that there may be some folks that don't belong to you. Oh, they may have been in church, and they may have heard sermons. They may have a knowledge of who you are, but they never have trusted in Christ alone for salvation. Lord, I pray that this morning that your spirit would work in the hearts of the young people and the older alike, that when we walk out of the room, all of us would have been met with the question, do we belong to you? It's in the name of Christ I pray. Amen. You know, around um, churches today, I'm sure many guys are talking about love. <laughs> I'm quite certain. And they're telling husbands to love their wives and all that kind of stuff. And you might have even come here today thinking, man, Thad's going to drill husbands today. And that's not what we're going to do. I want to talk about God's love and who God is and what he's done for us. And I want us to go to a passage of scripture that, for some reason, has kind of been ripped out of the hearts of people. I don't know why. Used to, you could never walk around a church building without hearing this verse. In fact, it's one of the first verses that we teach our children. They know it by memory. They're able to say it. But they might not be able to explain it. In fact, there might be even some adults that would not be able to explain it. But they know it because they might even have a magnet with it on the refrigerator. You've seen it on television because there are people that wear funny hair and usually put out that sign and it says John 3.16. But you wonder, 
with the ones holding up the signs, do they even know what it says? Where did they get that verse? It's probably one of the most popular verses in all the Bible. But when was the last time you considered it? When was the last time you looked at John 3, 16 and said, man, that's a wonderful summary of the gospel of Christ? When was the last time you were met face-to-face with that verse? Not saying it, but understanding it. Understanding what's said there. So that you're able to look at it and go, wow. Wow, God. Because there are three things that we're told about God in this verse. We're told about his love. We're told about his gift. We're told about his promise. Three things. And they're right in there. And you're going to want to listen. Because I'm quite certain in a room like this that there may be some who are sitting here today who do not have the testimony of belonging to Christ. You've heard about Christ, but you don't know what he's done for you. You may have even sat under many sermons and heard many lessons and the pastor has said the same thing over and over again, but you haven't considered it yet. Before he even opens his mouth, you've turned off You've turned your ears off. I hope you'll stay with me for a few moments today as we consider this verse in its context. And what the Lord is saying about salvation, about what God has done. So I want you to look with me at chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 3 and verse 16. Look what the verse says. Number one, it tells us about God's love. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that's the gift, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the promise. You know, people are always looking for eternal security verses. This is a good one. Really good one. But we want to begin talking about the love of God. Notice what it says in verse 16. For God so loved the few... Is that what it says? It's not what it says. Is that what it says? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say God loved a select few. That's not what it says. Is it? The Bible says, For God so loved the world, all mankind. You know that's debated by some. It absolutely is. But I'm not sure how they get around that word. For God so loved the world. Well, the question becomes, how much did he love the world? How did God love the world? You know, the word agape is a word that all of us are familiar with. We've heard it over and over again in churches. But the word agape itself, by definition, talks about a sacrificial... And an unconditional love. And aren't we glad that our God loves us that way? That he loved us unconditionally and sacrificially? In other words, he wasn't waiting to love us until we got to just the right point. All buttoned up and neat. But he loved us. Paul wrote about it in the book of Romans, that God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet what? Do that again. In that while we were yet what? Yeah. 
That's right, Christ died for us. So we're thankful that his love, the love of God, was unconditional and sacrificial. The Bible tells us that because you move on from the love of God, he says, for the God so loved the world to the demonstration of that. <laughs> right? I mean, that, that, that's what we're told. That God demonstrated his love. Paul says it a little different. But here in John 3, 16, it says it this way. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Well, why in the world did God give his only begotten son? His one and only son. What did he give him to do? Why did Jesus Christ come to the earth? Class, he came to the earth to do what? To die for the sins of the world. And some might say, well, no, that's not true. Yeah, it is. I want to show you something. First John chapter 2, okay? I want you to see the extent of his gift in dying for us. John says in chapter 1 of John's gospel that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, the gift of God was his son. You say, well, did he die for the sins of the whole world? And the answer is yes, he did. Just like he loved the world, he demonstrated that love and that he died for the world. You say, well, where does it say that? Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. We'll begin in verse 1. It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And by the way, 1 John's a book about fellowship. That's what it's about. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have someone who speaks on our behalf. Don't you like that? Yes, you do. If you haven't considered that, you do like that. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so when he uses the pronouns he himself, it refers back to Jesus Christ. And he himself is the propitiation. That word means satisfaction. He is the satisfaction for our sins. And, and all God's people go, that's right. John's talking about who? Who is our there? Well, it's... Definitely including him. And it's including the apostles, if you look in the context of chapter 1. But it also includes all believers, the ones he's writing to and us now. He became the satisfaction for our sins. For the sins of those who are trusting in him. But not just them. Notice what it says. He himself is the satisfaction for our sins. But look at this next phrase, and not for ours only. Now, you cannot just cross that phrase out because it fits your doctrinal position. You're not allowed to do that. I'm not allowed to do that. What does it say? Not for ours only. Who's ours? We just, talk, we just said it. He's talking about himself, he's talking about the apostles, he's talking about the believers he's writing to, and he's talking about every one of us in this building that belong to Christ. But then he says, not for ours only, but also for those of who? 
the whole world. Is that what it says? That's what it says. You got to do something with that. You can't just go, well, now that doesn't fit my doctrine. But that's what it says. And that word world there is mankind. He loved mankind and he satisfied the wrath of the Father for all mankind. Now this is where people like to talk, well, hold on a second. Do you know who belongs to the Lord? There's one that does. We don't witness this way. We don't walk up to somebody and go, well, did Christ die for them or not? Who witnesses like that? Aren't you thankful that the person that witnessed to you didn't go, well, I'm not sure. No, 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 no. That's not what we do with the gospel. What do we do with the gospel? Well, I know this. In this church, we preach it and we teach it and we say, hey, we need to share the gospel with everyone, right? That's the mandate Christ gives. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to other most parts. He didn't go, well, now go look and see. No, he didn't say that. You know, there are people that want to talk about that today. And the reality is that he was the satisfaction for our sins, and not only for ours, but those of the whole world. But not everyone in the world is going to believe. And the question becomes, what happens to those people? What happens to them? They're going to forever be away from the presence of the Lord. We'll see that here in John. So, you say, you may be sitting there today and going, well, now hold on a second. You just said he became the satisfaction for our sins, but not only ours, but for the sins of the whole world. But what if I walk up to somebody and say, hey, um, you've sinned. Is that true? Answer, yes. All of us in this room have sinned and sin. Because some people have a problem with it just by you mentioning that word. It's a three-letter word. It's a powerful word. But did you know all of us were guilty? Look with me in Romans chapter 3. I want to show you that all of us are guilty. Paul says that all of us are guilty. That's his conclusion. That every single man is guilty. And Romans chapter 3, verse 9, as Paul's writing his dissertation on sin, he concludes by saying in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone in this room has sinned. Everyone. Everyone outside of this room has sinned. And Paul says in verse 9, what then, are we better than they? Not at all. We have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under what? What does it say? Sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become useless. There is none who does good. But he says, there's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. 
The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Who's he describing? Man. Jews and Greeks alike are guilty of what? Sin. Every single person in this room is guilty of sin. The question becomes, what have you done with what the Lord has provided? What have you done with the gift? The gift of God is Christ. It's Christ. Because without Christ, we are left in our what? Sins. (laughs) And people say, why did Christ come to the earth? He came the first time to die for the sins of man. You know, when he comes back to earth the second time, he's going to come and he's going to be the king and he's going to rule and he's going to reign. But every one of us who are in Christ this morning in this building are certainly thankful that he came the first time to die for our sins. Otherwise, there's no hope. See, we would still be in our sins. But Christ died for our sins, as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 3, I mean 15. He says, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised the third day according to the Scriptures. That's what the Bible says. So why did Christ come to earth? The first time he came to earth to die for our sins. Because, as Paul concludes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, in John chapter 3, verse 16, we're told about the love of God. We're told about the demonstration of that love. The gift, His only begotten Son, His one and only Son, who came to die for our sins. But then thirdly, we're told about the promise. Look at this. That He gave His own, only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. That's the promise. So the question becomes this, for you to consider When did that moment take place for you? When you were convicted by your sin, right, by the Holy Spirit about your sin. When did that happen? When you were convicted of your sin. You remember that? You remember when the Spirit of God convicted you of your sin? What happened at that point? At the point of salvation, what happened? You were convicted of your sin, and what, your eyes were opened, And you came to understand that Christ died for your sins. And you did what? You believed. You trusted. You know, every believer has the same testimony. Every believer. Every believer in Christ was convicted of their sin. But the Bible says, the Spirit convicts the world of sin. He convicted me of sin... When I was seven years old, I remember it vividly. I was sitting on the kitchen counter, and a man named Phil shared the gospel with me. And I was convicted of my sin. The Spirit of God was working in my life, in my heart at that moment. Could I explain that to you? Uh Uh-uh. I just knew, right, that moment in time, on that kitchen counter, I was convicted of my sin And I trusted in Christ alone for my salvation. 
Do you have that same testimony? I hope so. It would make me feel better if you shook your head. Yeah. Do you have that testimony? Do you know that you know? I get concerned with people who say, well, I wasn't convicted of sin. What are you talking about? Used to, that word in a church was discussed and people were okay with it. Not anymore. Now, I want you to listen to that testimony of mine. The Spirit of God convicted my sin and I trusted in Him alone for my salvation and not in anything else. Are you listening to me? Nothing else. Salvation is by grace through faith alone in Christ alone plus what? Nothing. And if we say, well, it's 99% me and 1% him, or 99% him, excuse me, and 1% me, that's not right. That's not right at all. I'm trusting completely in him. It's 100% in him. It's in nothing else. It's not in my works. It's not in my behavior. I'm trusting in Christ alone for my salvation. I'm trusting in what he did for me on the cross. And that's exactly what he's saying here in John chapter 3, verse 16. Look what it says, that whoever believes in him. You say, well, hold on a second, Thad. We have unbelievers that believe in Jesus. Yeah, there are. They believe he lived. Here's the difference. The difference is this, that a believer is trusting in him alone for what? Salvation. Trusting in what God's Son did for them on the cross. Is that what happened to you? Do you remember that time where you were trusting alone? When you said, yes, Lord, I trust alone in what you did for me on the cross. That happened to you? Happened to me when I was seven. You know what I immediately did? When I got saved, I went down the street... And I saw my friend, Greg David. Now, his name's spelled David, but it's pronounced David. In Louisiana, there's lots of different pronunciations. His name was Greg David. And I went down the street to Greg David's house, and I looked at him, and I said, Greg, you're a sinner. He said, what? I said, you're a sinner. And I shared the gospel with him. My parents were huge in child evangelism fellowship big part of that. I don't know if you're familiar with that ministry, but Child Evangelism Fellowship, they do five-day clubs, they do summer camps, they do all kinds of things. And my parents were involved in that. And a lot of children in the neighborhood got saved. You said, what happened to them? A lot of them went back to attending church with their parents. And do you know where most parents go to church in southwest Louisiana? They go to a Catholic church. Are you going to grow in your relationship to Christ in the Catholic church? No, you're not. So a lot of those young people got saved, but wow, that discipleship just wasn't there. Not like they needed it to be, but they got saved. The question becomes for you and for me this morning is, have we trusted alone in Christ and what he did for us on the cross? 
The Bible says here in John chapter 3, verse 16, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Shall not perish. That word perish is an interesting word. It does not mean an annihilation. It doesn't mean annihilation. It doesn't mean total destruction. The Bible says here that whoever believes in him shall not perish. That word means to be ruined. In other words, if you've believed, if you trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, trusted in what he did for you, the Bible says you're not going to perish. You're not going to be ruined. That's the idea of the word. What does it mean to be ruined? Well, for an unbeliever, it means this. That if a person goes through their life and they never trust in Christ alone for their salvation, that when they stand before Jesus Christ at the great white throne judgment, they will forever be away from the presence of the Lord. That's what it means. You'll be ruined. That's ruin. You're away from the one who made you. You're away from the one who provided his son on the cross as a sacrifice for your sins. And they're away, as the Bible says, forever. So the question becomes, for you and for me this morning, are you certain that you will be with the Lord? The Bible says here in a promise that is given to us, whoever believes in him shall not perish. But, look what it says at the end, but have what? Eternal life. How do you think about that phrase, eternal life? Do you think about that phrase only as it relates to the future? Or do you think about that phrase as it relates to here and the future? One of the things that the Lord has been challenging with me lately is a passage of Scripture that um, oh, has just gotten a hold of me. It's the best way to say it. And I've mentioned it to different folks in different contexts. But it's a verse that now I have maybe a little better appreciation for. You ever had that where you're studying a verse or a passage and you're like, okay, I haven't really considered this in a while. It's one that you know well too. You wouldn't even have to turn there. You don't have to. I can tell you the verse. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes these words. For to me, to live is Christ. Those are words of a believer to me. But notice the pronoun. He doesn't use anybody else. He just says him. And Paul was not a bashful guy. He used other people's names all over the place in Scripture. But in this particular context, he says, For to me, to live is Christ. How would you fill in that blank in your own life? For to me, to live is blank. It might be for, to me to live as work, to live as baseball, to live as ballet, to live as whatever. But for Paul, his testimony to this church was for to me to live as Christ. That sounds good, doesn't it? Because later in the text he says, if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. In other words, 
I'm not wasting my life. The Lord's given me a life to live for him, and that's what I intend to do. But notice at the end of that verse, he says to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now imagine taking that message to New York City and standing on the street corner and saying yourself with a microphone in hand, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How would that sound to the people that were listening? They'd be saying, dude, what's wrong with you? Right? Because haven't you gotten the memo? It's all about this world. It's all about now. I better get it because I don't know what's coming next. Is that the way Paul's speaking? It's not the way Paul's speaking at all. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die. And listen to this. And to die is the presence of Christ. That's what it is. That's why he calls it gain. So to die is gain. To live is Christ, to die is to be in the presence of Christ. How does that sound to you? You know, the Lord is so gracious to us and that he conquered death. And so for every single believer, this is how it happens. The moment that you close your eyes in death, you are immediately transported into the presence of the Lord. That sound good? You can't beat that deal. Those who are not in Christ can't say that. They don't have that same trip plan as we do. So when I close my eyes in death, my soul is with the Lord. And then one day, the Bible says the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and that we who are alive and remain what will be caught up together with them in the clouds to forever be with the Lord. And Paul says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. We're going to have new bodies. The mortal must put on what? Immortality. The perishable must put on the imperishable. Any of you ready to get a glorified body? You will, young people, as you get older. You'll be screaming for that glorified body. But think about this. That's what, what, what um, the author says here in John. John chapter 3, verse 16. Whoever believes in him shall not perish but will have eternal life. And eternal life begins when? At the moment of salvation. That's why Paul could write like he did. It begins at the moment of salvation. At the moment of salvation, you're given an abundant life. You're given the Spirit of God. And He lives in you. The power that you need and I need to live each day to the glory of God is within us. Think about that. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. There was a man in New York State that I used to eat lunch with a good bit. This man was not saved. We would go grab a slice of pizza. They do that a lot up in the north. In this particular town that we lived in, there were 30-something restaurants. I think the town was like 5,000 people. And half of those restaurants were Italian. And you've heard Yankees talk, right? I'm going to go grab a slice. That's, that's what they mean. They mean a slice of pizza. And so at lunchtime, a lot of times, he would call me and say, Hey, Thad, let's go grab a slice. I'm like, sounds great. The difference was when he grabbed a slice, he drank coffee with his slice. Doesn't that sound awful? 
But he would drink coffee every single time, and I would get a Coke or something. And we'd sit and talk, and usually another guy went with us. The guy that went with us uh, was a partner of his. They worked together in their job. They were construction guys. And when the time came every May, we, we had a children's kind of like carnival. And he was a part of that. Even though he wasn't, you know, a part of the church and, and he, he wasn't saved at the time, he would come and he would help us. And we would set up. It was a big field day. It was on a Saturday. And there were a lot of things to do. And he'd set, we'd, he'd set up with us. And I remember one particular uh, time we were setting up. And this was like maybe a year or so before I left to come down to uh, Springville Road. We were setting up and... And he just kind of looks at me and he says, Hey, Thad, you believe everything that's in that book? I'm like, yeah, I do. He said, well, so tell me about, like, this salvation thing. And so I started sharing my story with him. He said, yeah. He said, I've heard the name of Jesus. He said, I just don't know, man. I don't know if I'm buying all that stuff. Well, now... You can approach it one of two ways at that point. You can beat him over the head with the Bible, or you can just say, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to keep praying about this. Guess which one I chose. I'm going to keep praying about this. So, kept praying about it. We have the carnival. At the end of the carnival, we had this time where we shared the gospel with the kids. And so he's out in the audience, because he's only there. He's only there for one reason. He's there to help us tear down everything. That's all he's going to help us put everything up. And I'll never forget standing in front of those kids and sharing the gospel. And you know when people are locked in. Usually he's back there and he's just kind of, you know, doing this and that, not paying much attention. But that particular day, he's sitting in the back. He's kind of got his hands, you know, like that. And he's looking up. And, and then I noticed he started, he got his, his hands were off and he started really paying attention. And I'm sharing the gospel. And he's listening and I could see him in the back, and I'm like, hey, Lord, I don't know what you're doing. I hope I know what you're doing. Please keep working in the heart of this guy. So after we're done, you know, we give a little time for the kids to respond to the message, and, and there's some response to the message, and then we get finished, and he walks up to me. His name is Steve. He walked up to me and said, hey, Thad, I need to talk to you. I said, all right. I said, I really appreciate you coming and help us tear down. He said, that's not what I want to talk about. I said, what do you want to talk about? He said, I want to talk about what you just said. I said, all right. So we went to my office, and we talked. And that man came to know Christ that day. One of the things that you know as a believer when you share the gospel, you know you're not changing their mind about anything. My responsibility is to do what? Share the gospel. What's your responsibility? The same. You know who was doing the work behind the scenes? The Spirit of the living God. The same one that did the work in your life. That started that. That started that work by convicting you of your sin and your need for Christ. Of all the things that took place in New York State in five years, of all the ministry, that was one of my most fantastic moments. Just being able to share in that with him. 
And do you know who walked through the door that next Sunday and every other Sunday after that? And who still, as far as to my knowledge, is at that church? Steve. He gave his life to the Lord. He trusted in what God's Son did for him on the cross. And it made all the difference in the world to him. When was the last time you considered this verse? When was the last time you considered what God's Son did for you? There is a um, hymn that we sing. We don't sing it much anymore. Um, it's one that I really, really like. I remember singing it as a young boy, and it just is such a tremendous hymn. It's called The Old Rugged Cross. I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about the old rugged cross. But I think about my Savior who did not deserve any of what he got. But he took it for me because he loved me. Listen to this hymn. It says, On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. I didn't hear this verse much being sung, but I like it. In that old rugged cross stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see for twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. To the old rugged cross I will ever be true. Its shame and reproach gladly bear. And then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever I'll share. And you know the chorus. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross to my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. You know, people wear crosses a lot. They do. You ever been so bold as to walk up to someone and ask them, why do you wear that cross around your neck? You ever done that? What an opening that is for the gospel. What are you going to do with John 3.16 today? Let me remind you about three things. We're told here about God's love. He so loved the world. We're told about his gift that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son. And we're told about the promise that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. When I was growing up, in part of the 60s and 70s, Billy Graham crusades were going fast and quick all around the United States, around the world. I guess it's been a few years since this happened, but one of the things I enjoy doing is going, they have a Christian station every once in a while that'll have a Billy Graham crusade on it. You ever seen some of those old crusades? Billy Graham was always faithful 
to not only declare the gospel, but to give people an opportunity to respond. And I used to think of it like that too, but there's, an, there's something else about that that I think is important to understand. We don't have invitations here hardly at all. But I was thinking about this week, I thought, you know, Lord, this will be an opportunity for people to respond to the gospel. And I don't know what your spirit's going to do. I have no idea. That's the unknown. I have no idea what the Spirit of God is going to do in your heart today. But I know I have the responsibility to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And guys, I'll sum it up like this. God so loved me that he put his son on the cross to die in my place. And I'm not going to get what I deserve. And because I responded to the Spirit of God in belief in God's Son and what He did for me, I have eternal life. You know what people have done today? I'm just going to be honest with you. They have made the gospel complex. They've made it past finding out for some reason. Well, it's just too complicated. People can't understand it until they're at least 17 or 18 years old. My wife got saved when she was five. A lot of you know Teresa, don't you? One of the things I observed in her life from the time I started dating her, you know the greatest attraction to me was her love for the Lord, her love for her Savior. And I've seen that displayed for 35 years. What about you? What's your story? What is it? When did you come to know Christ? And what have you been doing since that point with what you know and believe? This week I had somebody text me. Say, Thad, I'm sending the gospel of John to somebody. I'd like you to pray for this person. You may be sitting here today and you go, Hey, Thad, I know the Lord. I know that I know. That's great and wonderful. But there are a lot of people that are out in our world today, just as Ron said, that are scared to death. Literally scared. Scared about what's going to happen. They don't know. They, they're looking around and they're going, I don't know what's going on. You know what? We do, don't we? We know that everything that is going on is leading up to what? The return of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So you and I, as believers, if you know Christ today, Man, let's take the challenge. Let's mail this little book, this Gospel of John, to other people. How many of you in this room have family and friends who do not know Christ? Who need the Gospel? Who need to hear about how the Lord has changed your life? I want to challenge you one step further, then we're going to close. Take this little book, put it in an envelope or whatever it is, do a little box, but put your... Put your story in there with it. Put your story in there. You say, well, with that, it's family. I don't want to offend them. Ah, they're going to be offended anyway. Put your story in there. Right? The gospel offends. Put your story in there. Tell them how the Lord's changed your life and that you love them so much you wanted to send them a copy of this. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. and I want to give you some time for response this morning right where you are. Just bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe 
this morning, you're sitting there and, and you didn't recognize how much God loved you. That he loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to this earth to die for your sins. Maybe you don't know that. Maybe you don't know that if you want eternal life, that it demands that you believe in what God's Son did for you on the cross. I'm going to pray in a minute. I'm going to pray that if you don't know Him, that you would respond to the conviction of the Spirit. If the Spirit's convicting you of your sin this morning, that you would turn in faith and trust in Christ and what He did for you on the cross. Because I'd, I would love for you today to be able to walk out of these doors knowing without a doubt that you belong to Christ. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes to just have time with the Lord. And if any of you want to just walk up here, I'd love to talk with you after I pray about how you can come to know the Lord personally. We don't do this too often at Grace. But I really believe the Lord wanted me to do this today. And so I'm just praying right along with other believers in this room. And if you are a believer in this room, my prayer is that you would take this message and that you would walk away thanking the Lord for your salvation, but also taking the challenge to share your story with others. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes, just a silence, and then I'll close our time in prayer. And if you want to come up here um, and just have time of prayer with the Lord, that's great. If you want to come up here and talk with me, I'll be happy to stay with you after the service and talk with you. There's so much language today around salvation like trusting in a prayer, trusting in what we have done, what we accomplish. Lord, it's not the prayer that saves us. You save. You're the one that saves. And so if we're trusting in anything else other than you, That's not what your word says. The testimony of Paul and Silas to the Philippian jailer was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in what Christ accomplished on the cross. We were dead in trespasses and sin. We were dead. Lord, for those of us who belong to you, we thank you for making us alive. We want to thank you for your spirit's work in our heart and our life to bring us to the point where we confess that indeed, yes, 
Yes, we're sinners. And we're thankful for what Christ did in paying the penalty for our sin on the cross. And we're trusting in what Christ did for us on the cross to accomplish the salvation that we have. And nothing else, it's nothing else. Nothing can be added. If we add just to it a percentage, that's wrong. It's trusting in what you did alone. It's not of works. Your word tells us it's not of works lest any man should boast. Because it's not about us. It's about what you are doing behind the scenes to convict us of sin and of our need for you. And so my prayer this morning, Lord, is if there's anyone in this room that doesn't not know you, that today could be the day of salvation. When they would come to understand this wonderful love that was displayed for them on the cross and dying for their sins. Lord, help us. Help us not to be arrogant in our response to you today, but help us, Lord, to be dependent upon you. As believers, dependent upon you and giving us the opportunities to share our story with others so that they too might come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for John 3.16, which tells us about God's love, about God's gift being his son, and about the promise that those of us who believe will not be ruined, but we have eternal life. And I pray that we would live that way to your glory. And all these things I pray in the name of Christ and for his sake. Amen. You're dismissed.